Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for another episode. Actually, this isn't Horror Express. This is a totally new thing where we're talking <laughs> about RoboCop. So, and it's not it's not schlocky enough to be in the schlock thing. So, I guess this is just a more general podcast. Um, uncharted territory. It's yeah, it's uncharted. We're we're actually getting into some decent movies that are not in the horror or martial arts subgenres. So, um, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, so today we're doing the original RoboCop, uh, and I don't think I need to tell anything about it to anybody. Everybody knows it. Do I need to get a, give a synopsis or anything? I, I don't even know if we could do justice to it with the synopsis, because there's almost no plot. I mean, think, think about it. A, a cop gets killed and is turned into a robot cop, and then he's a robot cop for a while, and that's the whole movie. Like, that's... do they resolve anything really? Like, not really. They like stop. Yeah, they they they, of, they, they thwart the villain, people. and and they. Well, no, they don't. OCP's still around at the end of this. this no, OCP, the like... bigger villain. But I mean, they get yeah. rid of Dick Jones. You know, and <laughs> they take down one of a board of directors filled with evil I'm monsters. I'm sure all people. the rest of them were nice guys. I I mean... I, well, that's a topic that we can... The, the second movie actually kind of gets into that territory, if I remember. So when yeah, we get to the second alert, movie, They weren't yeah. nice guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, they're still... Even in I the like first it. one. But, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously, it's, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. Uh, it stars Peter Weller. It came out in 87, like I said. And it's RoboCop. Um, and it's I don't RoboCop. think that I need to give anybody any description of it because they all would know what it is and so uh at the request of joel this is the movie that we we've decided to do we're going to try to do all three of the robocop movies uh, somewhat unfortunately i think because part three is really bad <laughs> oh, i'm, I'm so fine bad. watching part two i'm going to be miserable the whole time i'm watching part three and then i'm going to well, be miserable the whole conversation where we're discussing part three so wait till we um, review the entire tv series no i'm not touching the tv series and the remake no, I, I, I tried There's watching no the remake, remake when Shut it came up. out and I got about 30 or 40 minutes in and I just had to stop. I couldn't I couldn't I, do it. Yeah, I hate all those remakes when you accidentally like turn them on. Like I remember like 10 years ago turning on KO. I'm like, oh, Total Recall's on. I'll watch Total Recall. And I'm like, oh, this isn't Total Recall. Yeah. This, this is, is a so... total crock. Yeah. Well, they just, you know, both of those remakes, they just sucked out all of the stuff that made them it's fun, fun. yeah exactly. it's just they're not fun that they, they the were problem. they were about as vanilla as you could be for the and they're and they're all completely of their time because they're just whatever was in the air at that time that's what we're gonna do we're not mm -hmm. looking forward we're not looking back we're in the now and Absolutely it's just no vision yeah it's yeah. it's just joyless ip pumping these people just kept their their copyright ability alive for the next yeah. what seven to ten years whatever it is that's it that's all those movies are they're little we they're little things where they can so go well. to their lawyers and be like oh no look we use the ip see there's a whole movie yeah. we spent <laughs> on it and it made <laughs> doesn't matter yeah that's that, what those were for the remake was a piece of crap i try i really tried what and i and i don't know maybe it gets astounding in the last 45 minutes of the i don't remember how long it is but it doesn't but, yeah, yeah. Forty-five minutes in, done. You know, I no, I'm not. I'm not going to subject our, our viewing audience to me just sitting here and shrieking at the corporate garbage that ironically destroyed RoboCop. Which, I, <laughs> so I mean, like, can you get a more always wins? <laughs> Do they though? <laughs> oh, but now that we've trashed the remake and yeah. part three, let's talk about part one, which is an incredible movie. 
Um, oh, I think, do we all agree that this is like one of the greatest movies ever made or are we in yeah, disagreement it's perfect. on that? Okay. It is. This is maybe the world's most perfect propaganda film for two reasons. Number one, <laughs> it's maybe the most, like, if you love cops and police and violence, this is your movie. It's perfect, right? But if you hate those things, this is also your movie because it makes fun of all of it. It's yeah, it's well, it's it, it's it's. I think that it's. I think that its real target is um, the privatization of U.S. institutions. That to me seems to be the focus yeah. of it. Um, and obviously, they're making fun of like American, uh, American obsession with guns and violence and that kind of stuff too. Um, they knew what they were doing because they yeah. they make fun of it by giving us as much as we could possibly want in ninety minutes of glorious ultraviolence. So, yeah, well, yeah, man, mock me. That's great. I love it. Well, you know what? It, it's it, it, it's it's an interesting one because I don't know. It's 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 also got like a bit of an outsider perspective that mm. these that that a that a satire of like American action movies or American culture normally wouldn't have. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, obviously, I know that he didn't write the movie. That there were the writers were responsible for a lot of the satire, but I think he still brought like you know. There's just this this outside looking in element that that made it more interesting um yeah well it was it was interesting when this movie came out because when the tv the tv commercials made it look like a really dumb action movie and it was like but obviously we went and saw it we're like oh yeah. that looks like a really stupid that's what i thought action movie be. we'll yeah. go see it and you know, someone that read, I'd already read a lot, like a lot of cyberpunk, I read Neuromancer, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually an intelligent science fiction movie on top of being a dumb action movie at the same time. I mean, that's yeah, it's it's just a movie where we're Well, anybody that can tolerate extreme violence can get something out of this movie. Obviously, if you. You're, you're not cool with violence. No, you're not going to want to watch this. But otherwise, yeah, that, that's pretty consistent between this and Starship Troopers, and yeah. I would say even Total Recall. Like people that are not comfortable watching violence on screen, they were always the ones that had the issue with a movie yeah. like this. Um, yeah, but this is one of those things. That, like I don't usually warn people about the violence in a movie, but I'll warn them about this one. Well, yeah. and also people got yeah. this one just like Starship Troopers. People did get this one wrong, where they misread what was trying to be conveyed in the. You know what I mean through the movie? Because um, I know I've run into people that thought it was like a right wing film or something, which yep, it's not. They, they didn't uh, get the parody. The, yeah. the joke was lost on them. Um, but but here's the thing: there are people that are that are like that that sincerely love this movie, and the joke is also lost on them. So like, well, I in in defense of people that that take that position too, I think there are people that don't agree with the critique that he's making, but like the movie still, and, well, they, and they can see the critique. Of that you know what I mean? Thing, the thing about this movie too is that it's not like it's loaded. It's not it's not completely loaded. Like you know, basically like the cops, for example. It's like yeah, they, I, it, it's sympathetic towards the police. It's like yeah, it's a yeah. fairly liberal message, but it's not like trying. Oh, the cops are just the bad guys or something. So right. It, it's it, the there's complexity. The characters are all people. So yeah, the the bad stuff is all coming from the privatization, Jamie. Like that. That's really what yeah. seems to be driving. In fact, I think they listed because he lists at the beginning, like all the things that they've privatized. And I think he says hospitals, space exploration, prisons and the police. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I don't know the actual timeline, but I feel like space exploration wasn't privatized at that point. No. Now it's become privatized. And I feel like if prisons were being privatized, it was must have been very early on. 
and now this has become a very big thing so it's interesting that those have all kind of one by one uh, become privatized since the movie yeah or or at least completed that process has been more completed maybe um yeah the satire on this really holds up over time i have to say (laughs) um but but yeah, but back to Adam's point about this being marketed as an action movie because I was I, I this was eighty seven so I was like ten when this came out and or like mm-hmm. maybe eleven and uh and and I saw it in the movies and I remember being like I would I like I'm pretty resilient as a viewer but that initial scene really bothered me where he gets oh, yeah. where he gets killed yeah and I, I think because up to that point. I never saw a hero of the movie get killed like that. You know, it just didn't, it didn't occur to me, but also how just brutal. It's just like, it, they just keep taking things away from him. It's the, I think I mentioned this to you guys after the podcast last time, but the closest I can compare it to is at the end of billion of million dollar baby, where he kind of slowly takes away any, any hope that she might make a recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's, that sort of, in a much more condensed scale, what happens in this scene where like first his hand goes and it's like, okay, maybe he can survive without his hand. And then his arm goes and it's like, well, okay, maybe he can kind of survive without the arm, but then they just start blasting him. And then you're yeah. like, okay, maybe, maybe they'll be able to repair his body. So, and then they shoot him through the head. And it's like, okay, no, he's, he's, yeah, gone. he's it's definitely a, dead. Yeah. Um, well, I, takes love that. A- I love that they actually kill him. Like they don't fuck around. They're like, no, he's clinically dead before they turn him into robo. Yeah. Like, wow. He's dead and he probably has serious brain damage, too. Like, they shot him through the head. So, you know, which I which I think is kind of interesting because it explains a lot of the difficulties of the memory. Like, he's got all these yeah. gaps in his memory. And so I I, I tend to think of the, the being shot through the head as the reason for that. Um, you know, it's kind of like a regarding Henry type uh, type situation. Yeah, it um, avoids well, it avoids the you know when Mor- Murphy remembers who he is, just going back to being Murphy. It's like yeah. that isn't really an option. It's, it's yeah. like okay, kind of has to reinvent Which, himself. I think in the second one, Joel, don't they get into that a little bit? Like, isn't he stalking his old family yeah. or something in the second one? Well, he, he tries to figure out his identity a lot more in the second one, and okay. in a bunch of really interesting ways. Uh, we got to get to that one when we get to that one. Like okay. I told you, it, it holds up. It's not Verhoeven directed, which surprised me because I was watching it and I was like, this is so good. Verhoeven knocked it out of the park twice. And the first thing it is, it's like directed by this other dude. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, okay. Way to nail the tone, dude. So, um, but, but just to, to bring it to something Joel wanted to say too, because, uh, so we have that scene and obviously, and, and he, and Verhoeven has said that's meant to be like a crucifixion scene, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's explicitly said that he's explicitly said that Robocop is an American Jesus. And I, Joel, you want to get into that topic. Um, yeah, yeah. well, I, I think that one of the quotes, and I'm, I might be, I'm definitely paraphrasing somehow, but I think the quote was that like, he, he's supposed to be like the American version of the Jesus, uh, story. And he uses a, an enormous amount of violence because it's American. So, of course, he does. And I was like, I, I always loved that idea that like and it really follows it really closely. You know, you have someone who's got these, these really heroic, noble qualities and he's he's killed pursuing them. And then he rises from the dead as like this invincible version of himself. And um, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about the idea to me, at least that this version of Jesus is like the opposite of the forgiveness and bring you to heaven. Jesus, he's just going to shoot your dick off because you're yeah. an awful rapist. 
go to hell. He says, uh, I'm, I'm not arresting you, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so so I guess you could say that's like the second coming. I don't know. Maybe that's like the, <laughs> the more angry version of Jesus. But but the the it's also interesting, too, because then it's like, OK, if he's Jesus, who's God? And you kind of say, oh, it's the corporation. The corporation is the God in America because the old man is kind of like this. Huh? It's got three letters, OCP. Yeah. And 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 it's and the old man kind of feels like a godlike figure in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? It's just like and, and he's even painted a little bit benevolent. Like of the people there, he seems to be the more benevolent, at least if you're picking between him and Dick Jones. Um, like he's he's vaguely yeah. trying to do some amount of good, even if profits are his number one priority. Um, well, I, I he has the same kind of inhumanity that Old Testament God has a lot. You know, like th- there's something about him that's like. He's so corporate, he sort of lost that human element and he's become something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, you could see that as a sort of transcendence because you only ever see him on the highest room of the highest floor in the highest building in the whole movie. Mm. But what I... <laughs> There's a lot well, to it. It's really clever. No, that's true. Yeah, I guess you don't see him anywhere else, do you? Um, but I like how the Jesus thing... Because when I, when I first heard about the American Jesus thing, like I think... Uh, I forget when I became familiar with that, but I know at one point I was I was watching RoboCop again, and then I I must have seen the the DVD uh, commentary track or something. That's probably I can't remember. It must have been on that where I heard it. Um, and I I remember really wondering, well, okay, like that's interesting, but how does that tie to the satire, Jimmy? Like I didn't get how that connected to it. You don't, you don't get how no, na- violent Jesus is an American sat a satire no, no, no. culture. What I mean is what I didn't get was the corporate satire. And then it and then I started to realize, oh, it's because that what he's saying is that he's using the Jesus story to talk about what our priorities are as a as a culture and how, you know, like I was saying before, like the corporation is God. And Mm -hmm. so all of that's, you know, like that, that's that's where it started. Then I started to appreciate it more because I was like, oh, it's not just something that's detached Mm -hmm. from the corporate side of it. The yeah. whole thing kind of mixes together in a unified idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's you know. But the other thing too that's interesting is apparently Verhoeven. He's an atheist, but he is. Uh, he he wrote a book about Jesus, um, which I, I didn't know. It. Yeah, he, he wrote he wrote a book about the historical Jesus. He's a member of the Jesus Seminar, and they're kind of like a. You could almost call them like rogue scholars who uh, not rogue scholar rogue scholars. No, I, who, I heard uh, you. Who uh, 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 are they're kind of like you know like the new atheist movement and all that crowd. They're kind of like them, but for hi- historical Jesus, if that makes sense. They're, I mean, they're really I, I'm an atheist too, and I one of my most one of the things I love studying is versions of the Bible and the historicity of the Bible, and like it, it's really fascinating stuff. It's like a cornerstone of all Western culture, and most I think almost all scientific thought finds its roots somewhere. Uh, in in like biblical you know scholarship, I just it's it's amazing. It's it's an incredible, incredibly rich, deep cultural touchstone that has influenced the lives of millions and millions of people. It's not a small thing. I mean, like you can be an atheist and appreciate the enormity of that. No, and I think it's 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 like like you said, it's like a common language. You sort of like you know if you read if you read old literature. I remember like when I took my first. I, I haven't taken that many literature courses, but when I took like my survey literature course, the first thing the teacher said was you need to know the Bible if you want to understand old Western literature, because there's oh, yeah. so many references to it. 
Um, well, I mean, almost all of the classics are, yeah. if not directly biblical, then all like this right after that. I mean, like, yeah, you got the I mean, Divine Comedy, you've got uh, Paradise Lost, uh, like, tons and of And even something like Moby Dick, them. like, you know, like the first mm -hmm. line is like, call me Ishmael, right? So it's like you have like these, just like, it's, it's just there was a familiarity with what those references would mean in old literature. And so, you know, it just, so I, I can see what you're saying here where, you know, this is a uh, it, it's a even if you don't even if you're not conscious of it, like when I first saw Robocop, I'm sure I didn't see. Oh, yeah. The no Jesus way. thing. But I, I think saw, in the back of your Robot mind. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're connecting to it like you're connecting to these ideas that you've you know, oh, grown man, up. Spirit Jainus scene. I didn't even think about that. Whenever uh, Boddicker is like stabbing him with the thing, he hits him right in the spirit yeah. Jainus point. Damn, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Oh man, it's oh, it's so good! It's so good, damn and it! And that's the scene where he's walking on water too. Uh, <laughs> it is. Oh my uh, god! Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff like that in there. Um, but yeah, I don't. It's interesting. I, I, I and when I, I I didn't know that he wrote a book on Jesus until last night after I saw the movie. I was like, because I I, I I I was like, how much does he know about Jesus? I'm kind of curious. And so I looked up how much does Verhoeven know about Jesus? And, and the first thing that came up was he wrote a book about Jesus. And so I was like, well, you know, even if it sucked, he must know a thing or two about Jesus. Like, it's not he's not just pulling these metaphors out of his ass. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and he did write the book later, but he obviously had an interest in the in the subject. Um, so, yeah. So is it, oh, go ahead. Was that for me? I was, uh, yeah, I thought you were saying something. Uh, no, no, I was oh. I was pausing my mic because I was a little gassy. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Not that that TMI, but it's all right. Well, I mean, um, like, you, you brought it up. So, sorry. So, I just ate a, a jalapeno bagel for breakfast. So, you know, it's got to, right. that's going to so, have an influence on you after your 30. So, I, yeah, I, I avoid <laughs> those kind of meals before podcasts, actually. It, it was worth it. It's so delicious. Yeah. Um, no, because whenever you're going like that, that's, that's like my cue. If I need to, like, get up and do something, <laughs> like, I can just come back in a minute. Oh, like, okay. okay. He's still talking okay. about. He's still talking about the Bible. It'll be cool. Yeah, I, I yeah, um, I can ramble on quite a bit. I mean, been, like, you're, when you're I listen to the podcast, like, huh? You're a historian. Like when you we get talk when you get talking about history, like that's your thing. So you first know? off, I'm not a historian. I I have a degree in history. I never practiced history as a as like a profession. Um, you think but, about it, read about it, and talk yeah. about it all the time. I've literally never had a conversation with you <laughs> or it didn't come up, man. Like I you're think, not like. Getting role playing games are valid history works. I think. Uh, I think. That's yeah. No. I. Sorry, man. <laughs> you're not. I. Yeah. Sure. You're not published, but like in your soul, that's what you are. That's like part of your identity. Well, I love history. I do love history. Um. But I. But you I noticed says that, that I, historians and literally no one else. <laughs> so. I think a lot of people. My, my wife just said the other day that she loves history and she's not a historian. Um. But uh. But anyways, I don't know. I. I've, I've noticed. I sometimes interrupt people i sometimes just keep talking and so i'm uh but if that's giving you an opportunity to go take care of things then that's oh, yeah. i guess that's a benefit to my 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 bad manners on the podcast um <laughs> Jesus. but but you wanted to talk about peter weller as well and i think that um uh, unless uh, do we need to speak more about paul verhoven before we get to that oh man no let's let's your energy is so high in this podcast this is awesome i'm gonna enjoy listening to this later okay uh, we got to do more of these where you guys aren't falling asleep. Because this is yeah. definitely the higher oh. energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me let me clarify for people. Most of our podcasts are recorded. They're they're what we call late night 
podcast reviews or late night horror expresses or whatever, where me and Adam are just on the cusp of falling asleep. And Joel is the only one who's awake because he's in a different time zone. He also has like boundless energy compared to me and Adam. So, Mm -hmm. so we, so, so yeah, we think we, we, we go, we get lost in the woods during those podcasts. They're very, (laughs) I like to think of them as like if David Lynch directed a podcast, that's what it would, that's kind of how it would be, you know? You know, you guys are the David Lynch fans, not me. So maybe, maybe that's a bad (laughs) reference, but um, yeah, me me and Adam are going to force you to watch Twin Peaks. That's going to be fun. I really don't want to watch it. It's the only way you're going to understand your own references. Well, I just, but, but I figured through osmosis, I have enough appreciation of what Lynch (laughs) represents in the culture that I can make the reference. Uh, that I didn't need to see uh, his whole catalog before see, I invoked it. But the, but the um, irony of the situation is we're doing one at one o'clock in the, we started at one o'clock in the afternoon, my time, and it's a day after I was incredibly sick all night and didn't get any sleep. And so I'm still lost in the woods, even though it's 2.15 p.m. my time. So Yeah, that's, yeah and I should go. say I, I didn't sleep much either. So I, don't, I, I just got lucky today and didn't end up without energy. Um, <laughs> the raccoons were keeping me up all night. Um, so, uh, I, I have raccoons in my attic, uh, that, uh, I was like, is that a, like a, is that a metaphor? No, he, no, not a metaphor. It's, raccoons, it's, huh? No, I have real raccoons yeah. in my attic that crawl down. Like I hear yeah. them crawling down the wall and it, you know, and it sounds like they're trying to get in the house. So it's very, uh, you, you, you can't sleep when it's happening because you, your, your body wants to be alert. Um, so anyway, about Peter Weller. Yeah, so Peter Peter Weller, number one, Peter Weller's an interesting guy. He actually, I think he's like a professor of Roman history now, isn't he? Um, what? Yeah, let me look that up. I'm pretty sure, because I, I was watching a documentary like 12 years ago on Rome, and they brought in Peter Weller, and I was like, oh, they got an actor to do like this thing. And then it, under his thing, it said Peter Weller, Roman historian. Um, what if he was just trolling them? <laughs> He's like, I'm just an actor. I, I just acted like one no, of I these think, things. I at think the audition he went to. Um, I think he went to school. Oh, so know what it is? So, okay, so this is going by Wikipedia. Um, okay. In 2004, Weller completed a Master of Arts degree in Roman and Renaissance art at Syracuse University, and occasionally taught courses in ancient history at the university. In 2007, he began a PhD at UCLA in Italian Renaissance art history. In October 2013, he filed his dissertation um, and was awarded his doctorate in 2014. So he's got a PhD in in art history, it looks like. He's so, a doctor. Yeah. Dr. Robocop. Ladies and gentlemen, fact, the talented Peter Weller. Well, it's funny because I was, I, I was looking up interviews of Peter Weller last night, and I found this thing of him at a at a gaming convention or something where they were talking about RoboCop and he starts talking and it's like, he slips into lecture mode and he, and it's like a super intelligent breakdown of, of Verhoeven and his use of metaphor and all these things. Um, and it's, it's surprising because you're just expecting him to say, yeah, RoboCop was fun to work on and the suit was heavy, but he just kind of gives a whole lecture <laughs> on it. Uh, so. There's a reason he's irreplaceable or many reasons at least. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, Okay, the suit was almost certainly very heavy, first of all. But, like, second of all, like, okay, so, and you wouldn't think, it, it surprises me. Every time I watch all three movies, and I've only seen all three movies a f- on a few occasions when I was younger, but every time I do it, and I'm sure it's going to hit me this time, too, I know when it's Weller in the suit. You can only see a little patch of his face. Yeah. That he and he alone seems to have the capacity to sell that stupid robot suit. 
This is real dumb. The, the, the way other he guys, walks is like fucking C-3PO. And yet you buy it with him. And you the don't other guy's lips were all him. wrong. The other, there was something about the lips on the yeah. other guy. They yeah, no. Well, there's something the physicality of movement, too. People pick up on that more than more than they think. I mean, it's like you couldn't just put anybody in a Chewbacca suit and have them be no. Chewbacca. It's well, like or there's... Vader, the guy they had doing yeah. Darth Vader. Like You can really tell when it's not him. Yeah, um, yeah. I think on YouTube too, there's even scenes where they have like, like him doing a catchphrase and the guy in part three doing the same catchphrase. And it just, it's just awful when you, when you look at them back to back in comparison. Yeah. Peter Weller did a great job. Apparently because of the size of the suit, that's why they casted him. They needed a thin guy because the suit was so big. They wanted to do Arnold or somebody like that. And the suit was too, it would have been weird looking to have it on a bigger guy. Um, mm -hmm. It's and, pretty and, weird looking anyway, but well, no, but then they also because you could only see his jawline, they also had to hire him based on his jawline. So that those are the <laughs> they needed a thin guy and a guy with a really good jaw, and and th those were very big factors apparently in 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 the casting. Um, but yeah, I I think he's great in this. I mean, he's I don't I don't know what it is about Peter Weller. I remember after seeing RoboCop, I like I think the next movie he did was. Um, Oh God! What was the name of it? Uh, is it Leviathan? Was that the movie that he was in? Yeah, yeah. Leviathan. Um, I never saw Leviathan. Oh man, that's the only reason I saw Leviathan was because Peter <laughs> Weller was in it. Um, you know, but he's just one of those actors. Like he's 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 kind of likable in this way, and mm -hmm. but he's also very stoic and very, I don't know. He just has like a he has an interesting disposition. Yeah, he he does. I think that's a really good um, observation. He is an interesting disposition. Oh, God, I'm watching a clip of RoboCop 3 right now, just silently <laughs> on YouTube. Jesus, he's so bad. Yeah, the, I can't yeah. even hear him, and I know. It's like just, you're right, his mouth looks wrong. The movements are well, wrong. Ew. It's Ugh. a fine line because the character is, because you can see why they would try to hire Arnold. They were trying to get a guy that was robotic, and he's playing a guy who's like a robot, but he, they have to have that flash of humanity in there. And it's like this really even blend by the end of the movie where he still needs to retain the roboticness, but also express the humanity. And I think yeah. that I, I would imagine I, I'm not an actor, but that's got to be a very difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been as good with Arnold in it. I mean, uh, it still would have been a good movie, but I don't think Arnold would have brought the same it, it, thing. To it, it wouldn't have had the scene the scene where he's um, recuperating with um, Lewis and he's yeah. shooting the baby food that 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 you know that when he takes off the helmet, it would have just had a different yeah a different like feel. It, it, it would have been a good movie, but just not quite the great movie that it is is my feeling it would have been okay i don't think it would have yeah. done sequels I, I like i like arnie movies from yeah. the 80s it's not like i'm like oh you would have ruined it it just he just there's just there's just that that, that and, and there is a verhoeven arnold Weller. movie so you do get that you get it in total yeah that's true that. and that was a great movie yeah. i mean it was uh, but yeah you can you can see the difference that. like like imagine that character playing Imagine that was Murphy. It would just be a totally different thing. Yeah, right? there's just there's just a certain seriousness to the character of uh, Murphy that, that it's a little I, it's just a little heavier, I think, than what you get with uh, Total Recall. For good or it's bad. also it's interesting, too, because because they had to hire a thin guy who's like, you know, like rail thin, really like it's the to, it's the polar opposite 
in the beginning mm-hmm. of the film when he's playing Murphy before he's in the suit, it is the polar opposite of an Arnold physique. So it's kind of a I can't imagine Murphy with muscles. It just doesn't you know, I mean, I'm sure it would. Yeah, it would have been entertaining, like you say, but I can't but no, really it, imagine it. it. It does make for more of a transformation, too. So it's more effective. Yeah. I mean, having a big, muscly guy become a big, muscly robot isn't, isn't <laughs> yeah. as exciting as... He's transformed into the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it, does, it, do, it does let you know that the body is no longer important, right? Like, he's a cyborg, yeah. but, but all of the power is coming from the suit. It's not coming from his body. Um, you know, in fa- and in fact, they, they, they remove parts, more parts of his body... So they can get more machine onto him, right? Like they like they tried to save the left arm or something like that, and they're like, no, like, okay. no, like, get, get yeah. rid of that arm. <laughs> well, to, to go to go on a video game tangent, if either of you, oh, I know you haven't haven't uh, haven't Brandon, but have you, Joel, have you played uh, XCOM at all? The uh, video games? Uh, let me see. They're kind of they're turn based kind of tactics. Like you're you're dealing with aliens invading, and you're you're basically kind of this underground force trying to prevent this alien invasion. But the the thing in that game is over time you you're managing your own soldiers as the resistance, but you you're continually using alien technology to transform them either bio, biologically or through through cybernetics, and it's a really sinister thing. These aliens you're fighting seem to have no personality other than having this thing that just incorporates other alien races into how it can mechanically use them. So it's one of those kind of becoming your enemy if you're not careful situations. Oh, that's cool. But uh, I've yeah, not played that. Yeah. But that sounds awesome. It is, but the one the one thing in the art direction that kills me is like your soldiers at the beginning are all super burly and have this armor that looks kind of like action figures. They look kind of like '90s action figures, and it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm. It would be so much cooler if you just made them look like normal, you know, early 21st century soldiers and then had them become more and more like that. You know, that's that's the reason I the Arnie comparison reminded me of that. I was like, that always kind of bugged me. I'm like this because it is it is very evocative. They get the theme across in the game, but you could have done so much better. You just made it more normal at the beginning. Just people notice contrasts. Even when we're not looking for them, we notice them, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and also you get so little time with his character that every little aspect to, that adds to the personality, you know what I mean? Like just having him be thinner actually adds like a dimension to the character oh, yeah. in a way. Uh, this um, yeah, this movie uses every atom of screen time brilliantly. Like it's yeah. a ninety-minute movie, and like I think before the podcast started, I said this ninety-minute movie we've been talking about for twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> every scene <laughs> more than twenty. Every, it came out in 87, well, yeah. right? So what's that? Well, it came out in 87, but I came out in 86, so I didn't watch it in 87. Okay. Um, <laughs> you guys remember, you're old. You're, you're old fogies. I know. No, a, when I I'm realized Robocop is 30-plus years, <laughs> when I realized that Robocop is over 30 years old, I'm. I, trust me, I. <laughs> you feel old when you realize something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's just the economy of this movie, the way you've got, like, essentially three kind of villainous characters. You've got... Uh, you got Bob and you've got Dick and then you've got Boudicca and yeah. but they're all interlocking, but they all have kind of different positions in the world. So it's like it gives you three interesting yeah. characters, but you're also getting this picture of this larger framework just by them existing. I mean, I'm, it's just it just this movie is so well put together. 
I'm glad you also group Bob in with the villains because I think the ten, yeah. the, the the impulse is to make him not a villain because he gets killed by Dick Jones and he he's sort of presented he's as definitely like the, a villain. The, the, uh, he's the, like, I'll take his arm, you know, he yeah. saved the arm. No, no, we agreed full 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 prosthesis. Let's get rid of that. Yeah, <laughs> he's a a minor villain because he's easy to intimidate and ultimately weak and disposable. Yeah. Um, yeah. The more effective villains dispatch him. He, um, he he's a character who villains. he's jettisoned his morality in order to succeed in this landscape that he lives in. Yeah. But he hasn't developed the the resources and the and the skill to survive like Boddicker or Dick Jones. So yeah. It's, uh, but it's, if if he ended up as the number two, he wouldn't be any better than Dick Jones. Ultimately, is, is oh, my yeah, impression. No, yeah. It's uh, well, I think anyone serving in that role is ultimately pretty villainous and terrible, which is great. Yeah, there, there's no angels in this movie, not really. I mean, even <laughs> if you, because even looking at uh, Murphy, who becomes RoboCop, like he's pretty gung ho. He's pretty much cool with like, ignoring due process and shooting criminals. Like, yeah, yeah, he's the uh, best we've got, but he's not a great guy he's he's still pretty bad um well i think too i think so my part of the thing that i think is has to do with that too is that the setting is like uh dystopian yeah it's dystopian to the extent that like it's actually like entered into like a low-grade war between the criminals and the cops um i mean but they oh, yeah. do show it's they do show them booking people, war, yeah. so you i know. mean it is. And keep it's... in mind, this was the mid '80s too, when we were at the height of the crack epidemic, and mm. there the cities were really bad at the time too. It's like this is, this, it, you know, I mean, it, it was it was a pretty rough time back then. But uh, well, it's like the scene when the cops go on strike and they have they give the interview with that guy, the, the yeah. crazy guy, you know, like it's uh, yeah, that, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, but but I think I think I think your point is well taken though, Joel, because there really aren't any angels in this movie like you're saying like, no. lewis comes close lewis is kind uh, of okay angel. lewis is an angel yeah. but uh, nobody yeah. else yeah. <laughs> she she's the sole angel i'll give yeah. her that i love her so but, much yeah yeah she's a great no, she's character. a great character she's a, she's uh i i don't and also i just was surprised how efficiently they introduced her because right away they had kind of she kind of looks a little bit like cynthia rothrock do you know what i mean she's got that similar kind of look and and she and immediately she's like kicking the guy and yep. they establish what she's all about, um, but they yeah, don't. She's, she's gung ho. She's good at her job, and she's she's a freaking cougar. You know, she's. <laughs> I, I guess maybe Bobcat would be a better thing, but I mean, you know what I mean. She's small and ferocious, but like, yeah, sure. I mean, she's a little cougar too. But that's neither here nor there. Also, they avoid any kind of weird romantic subplot with her. She's one hundred percent and platonically Murphy's partner, and respects him as a fellow officer. I, that's yeah. Great. I think that's, that's true, though. I will say that scene where she's helping him aim the gun, like that's pretty, uh -huh. that's pretty phallic imagery, and like they're shooting baby food. Like I don't know that like the, oh they it, are because that's baby the moment food. in the movie when the when the when the love interest and the hero have sex in every single action film, right? When they're when they're like about to face the bad guy and they have like one night. It's like the Terminator or whatever it is. It's like oh, the night before what? the storm. See, it's um, interesting, but it, they, they kind of go in that direction in that scene, but they don't actually go anywhere in particular. Yeah. It's it is it kind of hints at it, but they back away. So well, they sort of do it, but then they just keep it on like the metaphorical level. I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's yeah. Kind of how it, yeah. They, him, her helping him aim his gun, get his aim back, and then shoot baby food. Okay, that's as close as we're going to get to a love scene. That's as erotic well, as it can be. With I, I'm just going to say this because this time. <laughs> 
I when I was watching that scene, I was looking for that. I was like, okay, I want to really pay attention to this scene. That's what this, that's the scene. That's yeah. where it is yeah. in the movie. You're not yeah. wrong. Yeah, definitely. If you see it again, like even like the expression on his face after he shoots the baby food, it's just there's something oh, going on there. He's, um, he's got his he got his groove back. His yeah. violence. Well, yeah, he got his groove back. That's but uh, but yeah, but but either way, it's it's at least an, it is like an intimate scene where the two characters connect. You know, it, you know whether it's you know. Uh, you know, just saying, if you yeah. happen to be Ace and you're looking for presentation in action movies, you found it in RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Fall very open again ahead of his time. Good job, bro. Well, I'm guessing like RoboCop must have, like if he's got like it, it doesn't look like he even would be capable of. Oh no, not of at anything, all. right? It's, it's all smooth uh, like a Ken doll down yeah. there, and all of his waist comes out in efficient compact cube form. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yeah. They really they really need to do like a um. Like the, I don't know, like what, like one of those more art house RoboCop movies where they get into like the daily routine of RoboCop, so we get a better like, appreciation of. Yeah, uh, we just watch Tetsuo the Iron Man too. And yeah, there you go. Just give him a drill. That worked out really good for Tetsuo. <laughs> yeah. Also, give him the soundtrack from that movie. God, that's a oh, good soundtrack. So <laughs> I do want to talk about um, Kurtwood Smith, the guy who played Boddicker, because yeah. I think. Ah, uh, uh, yay! Yeah. He he he's my favorite part of the movie. I think. I mean, there's. It, it, oh, he's the best part of yeah. the movie, and that that's hard to do in a movie this good. Yeah, well, it's just that everyone is good, and he. But I agree, he is the standout. He steals the movie. Well, oh. he, he steals this movie, and then he ends up making like like he was like the reason to watch that '70s show. Do you know what I mean? Like just uh-huh. the fact oh, yeah. that like this they, that this guy was the guy that's the dad in that show. Um, yeah. But. Uh, but no, so my note about Boddicker this time is what I like about Clarence Boddicker is like a lot of bad guys, he sacrifices his own men, but he makes excellent tactical choices when he does it. So like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't just kill. I think who was it? Bobby. Was that the guy that he throws out the back of the van? Well, can you fly, Bobby? Isn't that the line? Yeah. Can you yeah. Fly, Bobby. Yeah. That, this is a great line. But like a lot of villains just do that because they're mad at the dominion. You know, he's he's doing it for a reason, even though, he, you know, it's also demonstrating how callous and cruel he can be. Um, so I like that, like his character, he's not like, what do they call it? Like, like, uh, like chaotic, stupid or whatever. He's, you know, oh, he's, no, a, he, he's smart and efficient and he's full of braggadocio and a very particular sleazy kind of charm. Yeah. And he's just so good at murder. He almost kills Murphy twice. Like, yeah, yeah. And even even the part where he he does screw up and basically, you know, give all the information away to Murphy. It's still it's believable at that point because Murphy was just about to kill him, and he's like, "All right, I'm going to throw anything at the wall and see what sticks." So it's 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 an understandable thing to do. They didn't make him an idiot for doing that. And uh, apparently also, I guess the the woman at the desk that he's flirting with on the way to Dick Jones office, that's his actual wife, which I thought was kind of. Oh, really? really? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It just kind of adds something to the scene, because like when you realize it's Uh, his wife, it's like, oh, that must have made it like feel really different. You know, well, that means Uh, that right after that scene, like rap for the day, she went up to him, both of them in cops and they're like, you know what? You're right. Let's go out. And they. (laughs) (laughs) that's true. Well, and I I think for me. 
So I and I think they were married before the movie. So I think you know, but I, I could amazing be amazing if they weren't. If that was if like, that's where they met. They met. If that was how he charmed her. Him, him sticking like, gum on the thing was yeah, just the being thing complete sleazeball, and she's like, you know, this guy's got something. I got to um, all, all the bald guy, all the scars all over his face that he had, like all the latex scars. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, dude, so, yeah. chicks, chicks dig confident guys that are clearly visibly mutilated. If uh, mm-hmm. all media has ever can be trusted, I mean, like Phantom of the Opera, Beauty and what? the Beast, all of it. You know, if you're hideously scarred and confident as a dude, especially if you're a musician, bam, that uh, apparently that that does it. Well, I the thing that I like about that scene is how like he has the confidence to do that, like when he's he's just been in this terrible scrap with rope. Like he looks like a mess. It looks like, and, oh, and, yeah. and you're not even sure that he's showered. Do you know what I mean? It looks like he maybe hasn't <laughs> he showered. He definitely either. didn't shower. Yeah. So, but he just doesn't care. He just, he just, you know, he just, you know, asks her out. It was, it's an amusing scene. Well, and then he puts um, Dick Jones in his place. Dick Jones chews him out. And he's just like, okay, look, we're going to take care of this Robocop problem. This us problem. And like we're gonna make sure we we establish who's in charge here. Still, mm-hmm. still Clarence Bodiger, baby, Bodiger's on top. Well, that's that's the. I think that scene really helps to give you a sense of his character and why he is like the mob boss of of old Detroit in the in the movie, right? Like it just it's a uh, he and you kind of see it too when he's dealing. I think there's like a a, a mafia boss that he's dealing with with the. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, the guy drinking the. Too. He's like the most. Guns, like, guns, yeah, guns, guns, guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's, just, he's just very. He doesn't get intimidated by people. It seems he's able to no. relax and to push back. But he doesn't push back so far. It's like there's not a there's not like an insecurity that causes him to push back too much well, that he shatters yeah. things. With the Jones scene, I mean, he's just walks away. It's like, oh, I need you to kill Robocop. Like, nah, heck with that. He just sort of starts to leave and, like, yeah. makes him makes him pull him back. It's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> just a bargaining move yeah. there. Yeah, it looks like we're going to be friends after all, right? That's yeah. The... Great. Yeah. So, yeah, he's great. That actor is wonderful. But this this is the role that I think really, I don't know, just, I, I, I on it, like, go ahead. You should have won an Oscar for this. Like, the Academy's full of idiots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's a this to them was probably some mindless action movie, but man, it really is an unbelievable performance. Every he steals every scene he's and, in, and people remember this character. Like it, re- he really stands the test of time. This guy, everybody There's remembers him. So many quotable lines from this movie. Well, every time I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's where that comes from. But. Uh, <laughs> it- the other thing I did want to talk about is the, the what is it the six was it the six hundred sucks or the six thousand sucks? Oh yeah, the SUX. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. because again it's you know it's it's it, what is it bigger is better right that was the, the and the guy but then one of his guys buys one of like it's a joke throughout the movie but then one of his guys actually gets one or he think he steals it I don't know if he buys oh, yeah. it yeah no, no, they, they steal it. it. But, but he shows up and they have those big guns and then he just blasts the SUX with the gun. And it's yeah. it's just this, well, it's just this escalation that. of big versus big versus big. You know, just everything keeps getting bigger. Um, well, and also, uh, that's the car that's requested by the guy who's got the, the city yeah. hall uh, set of <laughs> yeah. hostage. Like, it's part of their world. Like, they commit to that bit. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. It's a running joke. And that scene is also very... Uh, what is it? It's the the city councilman who loses the election, and he's he's holding the mayor hostage. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that scene is very amusing. Um, 
And yeah, yeah. He's like, what does he say? I want, I want something big with shitty gas mileage, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's really uh, specific about it. <laughs> but the uh, 6,000 SUX. Yeah, that'll work. I don't want some coffee. <laughs> it's just so petty and short-sighted. It's wonderful. Like, you, you wonder why you might have lost this election, bro? Well, it's it's obviously like the criminal aversion of a temper tantrum. Like, he's, I can't imagine that he's expecting that any of these things are going to are gonna last beyond the day, right? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, and also, like, uh, other elements of the thing that exist in the world, like Liaacoca Elementary School, right? Like, it just kind of gives you a sense of, you know, like, just the, the, the things that are valued in the in the society um the the commercials with like nukem right was that the, oh, name of the nukem game? Was great i want that game so hard what, what i liked about that game was that they were all of the things that people were saying were like they were fairly sophisticated things for a uh-huh. family like like little kids to be Right, they they clearly had this like grasp of like yeah. nuclear geopolitics, yeah, which was it's... really compelling and funny. <laughs> yeah, because there's one line there's like, okay, that's it. I'm canceling our foreign aid. To you. Like it's just I forget. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, that wasn't the exact language, but it was something right, like right, that. Yeah, it was something that was that funny though. Yeah. You know? It was that out of the mouth of an eight-year-old is yeah. like pure comedy gold. Um, it's stuff like if you read newspaper, if you read news, the news about like North Korea and stuff like that, like these are the things that get brought up in in those kinds of news stories. Um, I like to point out that every single commercial in this, the fake commercials are some of the best cinema I've ever seen. They, yeah. they really feel like commercials when you're watching them. They 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 knew exactly how to make it feel like a commercial. Well, they, they do a the good job too. The news, the, all the news segments yeah, the news. Are, are just. What, what was that one about the the Star Wars uh, defense system oh. misfiring and like blowing up a hospital or <laughs> they were, something? Well, they were making fun because Star. They were making fun of the Star Wars program. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why they have the president go aboard and like the gravity gets disrupted because you're supposed to in your mind imagine Ronald Reagan up there because of the Star Wars program. <laughs> well, no, I think you're supposed to imagine Ronald Reagan, the two former presidents that are living in Santa Barbara that get hit by the missile. That's that's possible. I, I say by the, the by the way. Yeah, that 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 actually makes more I sense. Think that's our, of, I think that was the the, yeah. the guy Ronald Reagan there. Okay, that that would make sense. That would make sense. That's um, but 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 yeah, that was the. And it starts like the wildfires and then they and what's funny is how glib they are about, you know, like, like, what was it? 133 people died, including two former presidents. And then just kind of move on to the next news item. Next bullet point. Yeah. How how smiling they are through every single story on that. It's uh, it's perfect. And the woman was from Entertainment Tonight, wasn't she? Wasn't that the lady from Entertainment Tonight? One of those, Tonight? yeah. That or Access Hollywood, one of those shows. Yeah. I've forgotten which one she if was they, on. If they weren't on one of those shows, they should have been. Because, man, they were cast perfectly for it. Yeah. Everything in this movie is just perfect. Yeah, Lisa like, Gibbons, that's her name. That's I it, yeah. Her name, even if I don't remember what show she was on. I kept wanting to call her Debbie Gibson, and I knew that was wrong. So I was like, I'll just say she was on <laughs> so Entertainment Tonight. Uh, right time but, period. But yeah, no, you know, all those elements really help to create a sense of the world that that exists there. So I, 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 I and they're so funny, like the the heart one too. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's it's perfectly done. And then I love it, just like the end of it where he's walking away and like as he's leaving. And by the way, we care. Just that that 
Yeah, I know. It's so fake. And the yeah. uh the one with the dinosaur. Like, I remember seeing that the first time in the theater, and all of a sudden there's just this city shot with a like a really fake looking dinosaur. It's like, what's what's happened? Oh, it's a commercial. Okay. You just don't you just don't get expect that in a theater. So it uh really caught me off guard the first time. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so we haven't even mentioned like Ed 209 yet. That's one of my favorite parts of this. Mm. Ed, Ed 209. 209. Well, because it's, it. I don't know if it it's thwarted expectation or not. Because like, like when they introduce Ed, like he blows the one guy up. So you're like, I mean, he's malfunctioning, you know. So you're like, this thing is huge and unwieldy and dangerous. And then it fights RoboCop and it's whooping his ass pretty good. And then it falls down a flight of stairs and gets stuck on its back like a turtle and makes a squealy pig sound. It's, it's a shitty design, so like that, it's perfect because like yeah. like it, like it malfunctions at the beginning, but that's clearly not its only problem. It just they didn't think they just went for like as big and intimidating as they could, and they didn't think about this thing needs to go downstairs. This thing needs to be able to get through narrow doorways. You know, they're mm -hmm. just the it's it's just it, it's just a ridiculous embodiment of like. I mean, again, I think it's sort of, you know, like American firepower is kind of what they're oh, Yeah, and at the end of the going. movie, he, he just blows it up with like a single shot. <laughs> and it's also complete exposed. overkill because like in that scene, the guy is holding a handgun up to him. And it, mm -hmm. and it, and it and it's like two. These are like guns that you would expect to be on a, on an air on a jet plane on like a jet plane. Yeah, you know, what it's I mean? got like Vulcan, like twin Vulcan cannon levels of stuff that it's putting against this guy. This is like urban pacification. Yeah, because 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 then there's the scene where Robocop pulls up and it's like you're parked in an illegal spot and and it immediately gets into like I'm gonna sh it's I'm gonna shoot you stance right. So absolute yeah. disregard yeah. for human life. Just, yeah. that's not even a consideration. And it's all uh, about the bottom line, because Dick Jones even says he's like, I had all the contracts lined up. They were going to buy, you know, like dozens of it. Was it? Was it? Yeah, it's more about the Ed 209. Yeah, 209. Yeah, they were going to buy dozens of Ed 209s. Who cares if it worked? Right. That was the right. That That's uh, not the important part to him. The important yeah. part is making the move, making the deal, making the, the line go up. Yeah, uh, I love that. There's yeah, so much. That's a great embodiment. Yeah, it feels like the program was designed originally purely military, and then when this need for you know cops on it, the Delta City thing, he's like, "Oh, this is perfect." He's just, "Yeah, I've got the perfect plan right here." Yeah, just so yep. yeah, already got a plan, sir. Something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was less about. It, it was less about having a good plan and more about having a ready plan that he controlled. <laughs> yeah. These, yep. these kill bots will make perfect police. <laughs> I like that they didn't even take the, the anti-tank war rounds out of it for the yeah. demonstration. It, I know. Really, yeah. I know. Well, uh, yeah, that, that, well, it, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like the most funny scene, but also the most violent scene in the movie. And, it's the scene that everybody remembers from the film too. I think that was uh, that that was actually the clip they would use when you when they were promoting the show. Like, yeah, that's, that's the clip you'd use in, in reviews. But, but I also, I, I obviously, love it. Obviously, they they cut the violence out of it. But. I also love like also the guy that gets shot is the guy that's in the elevator with Bob and what's the other character's name? Um, uh, I can't remember, but he was the guy from Dirty Harry. Um, was it? Yeah. Uh, Felton Perry. Uh, oh, Donald Johnson was his character's name. So Donald Johnson and Bob are in the elevator with that guy. And then he's mm -hmm. the one that gets selected to 
to pick up the gun. And then after Bob doesn't give a shit that this guy, goes, <laughs> you know, no. uh, he has uh, a bad an eye about it. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and, uh, Donald Johnson, Johnson seems to care. Huh? Yeah, he's like, the guy died, and he's like, that's oh, OCP for you, and yeah. just moves on with his day. No, he like, said, no. that's life in the big city for you. Like, that was a guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but I love the reaction of the old man, where he's like, Dick, I'm very disappointed. Like, it's, you know, uh, somebody just got Just chastising lightly. Yeah. Well, this is yeah, like, standard This is going to cost us $50 million in in uh, interest payments alone is his big problem with it. Well, they're yeah. not even concerned for their own well-being and safety. Like you would think everybody in the room, <laughs> if they didn't care about the guy, they'd be like, oh, that could have been me. I could have yeah. died. Or, you know, are we going to be safe the next time? So, you know, like they, they don't they don't care at all. They're just they're just worried about, you know, d profit and 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 and, you know, so I don't know. I, the, the, I think that scene is kind of I think people remember it also because it kind of captures the spirit of the film uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we should talk about Bob a little bit because I think he is an interesting character. Um, who's the actor that plays him? Miguel Ferrer? Miguel is that Ferrer. how you pronounce it? Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. You really have to see Twin Peaks if you want to appreciate it. <laughs> You guys are just pushing the Twin Peaks. Dude, on he's, like, he's the <laughs> coroner in that one, and he's really good. He's only like in like what one or two episodes. More than he that. takes a he, he takes a punch to the face, and then he quotes Martin Luther King, and it's he's really good in it. Brendan, yeah. you're missing I'm sure out. He's great. You 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 guys are worth like. There's like drug dealers around the corner for me that like are less pushy about the drugs they sell <laughs> than you guys are about. Twin Peaks. I don't even really uh, care if you watch it as much as I'm having fun kind of bringing it up every chance I get. I don't I watch it or not. Watch Twin Peaks. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> so, but anyways, Miguel Ferrer, I think he's great in this movie. I think that he, and, and, and he's an easy, he's like, it's easy to forget about him because there's so many other memorable elements of the film. But he's such a prick. Like he's he really yeah. is like like and and that's overshadowed by Boddicker. Like there's a lot of dicks in this movie, like Boddicker, Dick Jones, like literal dicks. But this guy's also a dick. And um, I don't know. I, I think that uh, like you can even see little things like his character starts using cocaine more and more as the as, like it. You could like when they're when they're building the Robocop thing, you can tell he's on cocaine just by how he's acting. And then they literally show him with cocaine when he's got the two women in his house. Um, and what ultimately seems to do him in is just he just is he he does not take Dick Jones seriously enough. He doesn't see him as a real threat. and He doesn't understand. No, this guy will actually kill you if you, yeah. you know if you if you if you screw him over. He thinks it's he thinks it's not at that level. He thinks that Dick Jones is going to hate him. They'll be enemies, but well, it'll be professional. He's a prick and he's amoral. But he's not immoral. He's not. I don't think he's actually breaking any laws in what he's doing. Like he doesn't actually. He he makes cops for the cops, and he does business ethic without ethics and ruthlessly. But like aside from doing cocaine, did he break any laws? Like he's not. He doesn't have any. Like he doesn't have criminal henchmen. He he's no, not trying no. to bring in a bunch of drugs and take a cut for himself. Like I don't think he's evil. I think he's just awful. He's just very corporate. I think I don't think that he's mm -hmm. meant to be like like again, like Adam was saying, you could see like once he gets to Dick Jones' position, he'll and he has power, he'll probably be making decisions that co that cost people their lives or whatever because of greed. But he's not 
he's not doing the stuff Dick Jones is doing, where he's like hiring mobsters and you know murdering people. And, he's, he's not diversifying his portfolio yeah. into crime. His his evil is <laughs> yeah. his, his evil is more an absence of good than yeah, yeah. actively pursuing it. You know, I mean, uh, he's he's wormy and opportunistic, yeah. and he like. Again, there's not a shred of humanity left in him because, like, again, that scene where he's they're like, we saved his arm. And he's like, toss the arm. He's a robot. Like, that's a really good way of conveying that character. You know, it's just (laughs) like it's not that he's evil and wants to do harm to Murphy. He doesn't see Murphy as Murphy's humanity as anything important at all. That's not even a consideration for the guy. He's like, no, stronger arm. That's and it. he's and he's and he's likable too as a character. So you kind of, even though he's kind he's of a prick, you sort of root for him a little bit. And yeah, I think the that's thing that's, that's a Miguel Ferrer thing. I mean, I, I'm not trying to rub the Twin Peaks thing, but his character in that is all a huge jerk a lot of the time. But he's just so entertaining; you don't care that he's a huge jerk. It uh, it just works. Yeah, I think in, in this movie that's definitely the case too. And um, I, I I don't know. I, I find that uh, the thing I that I find interesting when you watch it again is. You know, like when, in, in a lot of movies, like when I rewatch them, the, the, the way that I kind of know that they made the right creative choice is I'm still kind of saying, why? Like, if you only did this, this would have happened instead and you would have been happy, Do you know, which would have made a worse movie. But it's like you, you have that impulse as a viewer. And I find with his character, like, you know, if he had just gone through Dick Jones with the yeah. Robocop thing, he wouldn't have well, been murdered. Like, well, or I don't think he could have gone through Dick Jones, but if at least if he made peace with him after he went over Dick yeah. Jones' head, he's been okay. Here, here's what I'm going to offer you. Well, no, <laughs> he, but he could. He needed to make some kind of peace offering after that, and instead he uh, went on the warpath with Dick Jones, which was. But I think he could have gone through Dick Jones by allowing Dick Jones to take credit for RoboCop as his contingency plan while he worked out the kinks for the Ed 209. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I see. Like at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like if he had he gone to him, because remember, yeah. Dick, Dick Jones says, isn't this a conversation that we could have had in our And it gets cut off. Yeah, by the no, you're man. right. You're totally. Um, I, was thinking, I, had a, I was thinking a different time frame of it. But yeah, that's totally true. But but with him and with him, it's just like it's just you can just see how and then and then like even if he like you were saying, though, even after the fact, if he had just not stepped in it in the bathroom and like, you know, <laughs> insulted Dick well, Jones while he's on the toilet, you know, um, yeah, it, yeah, over the line. But that that's also a very good scene. That scene where, uh-huh. like, where it starts off so polite and then you really see how much of a how dangerous dick jones is by the end um yeah the one guy who runs out like has a stain because he's just in such a hurry it's just like that really conveys it it reminds me of the scene in carlito's way where sean penn is walking into the prison to talk to his client you know he's like walking in he's like he's you can tell it's a good day and then by the time he walks out of it he's vomiting and he's sick and he's worried about his it's just that scene where the guy walks into the room he, you know, he's on cloud nine. And then by the time he leaves, it's got to be, you know, a really bad day for him. Um, yeah. I, I like that trajectory, that scene. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what what other elements of the movie should we discuss? I don't want to leave anything out. Um, Man, again, I could talk about this movie for hours and hours and hours. Um, Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, we, we kind of hit almost every single character, though. And I, here is an important thing about this movie. It has a lot of heart because it has such strong, memorable and human characters at its core. For all the inhumanity yeah. about the way they act, the yeah. people are very likable. 
Like all yeah. of them are, are memorable and you just, you're just thrilled when they're on the screen. Um, so yeah, uh, I think we, when you talk about this movie, if you don't talk about the characters, I think you're doing a disservice to the heart of the movie. So I think that we, we talked about all the characters, didn't we? Yep. I think so. I mean, sometimes, you know, I, I have to check my notes, but I'm pretty sure we covered all the characters and we covered all the topic. We, we, a lot of this is organic, but we sometimes have like a list of things we want to bring up and I, I, everything that I've written down, we've, we've covered. Um, the only thing that I didn't address is uh, I get apparently, so I was, I was watching a, um, a, an interview with Paul Verhoeven at a convention and in the interview, he was saying how the, uh, what his, creative contributions were to the script and the one scene that he added was the scene with when the when he shoots through the dress at the rapist uh, oh that's a great scene us. yeah that's that's the he's like that's, that's that that was me scene. that was the one thing i added to the script <laughs> uh, which i thought was funny because that's such a like if there was anything that he added to it that would be the thing that you would expect from paul verhoven um and that's also a very like i remember uh, as a kid being so impressed with that scene because a lot of action movies at that time <laughs> were all about how, you know, how, how like the guy could shoot against the wall and ricochet the bullet and kill the bad guy. And that that kind of takes it to such ridiculous levels. But then immediately as a viewer, you're also crippled with pain because you just saw a guy get shot in the groin. And I don't so it, I don't think I uh, the only two movies I can think of where I've even seen that happen is Robocop and Hate, uh, Hateful Eight. There must be another movie, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. So in uh, in the our RoboCop remake, they they extend that scene and have just a mob of rapists attack, and he shoots all their dicks off, and it's extremely funny. So if you guys have a chance to check that shit out on YouTube, it's wait, what do you what do you, I don't know what you're talking about? Okay, so they they did a RoboCop. Uh, there was like this crowdsourced RoboCop remake where people would shoot like three minutes of footage. And one of the scenes that got shot was an almost beat for beat exact remake of that scene. It looks it's convincing enough. It looks like it's part of the movie. Okay. And they just added dozens and dozens of rapists who flooded in from off camera and RoboCops just go into town shooting all their dicks off. It's okay. amazing. It's like five solid minutes of dick I th- shooting. I think they made the right choice with just the two guys and the you know. Um, <laughs> oh no no no! Uh, the restraint was wise, but. If you really want to indulge in some dick destruction, <laughs> look that up on YouTube. It's it's worth your time. Okay. I, I mean, the, the thing about this, well, the, the thing that I think makes the scene effective is that it's painful to, to watch that sort of a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, that, like I said, like in The Hateful oh, yeah. Eight, it's like you just can't stop thinking about how painful that must be. Um, <laughs> it, you know, so it, it affects you as a viewer. Um, well, you always kind of... Because obviously you're supposed to think, did he just shoot this guy's entire penis off? Like, God, I think it's what, what happened. I think yeah, that's I what think happened. so. I think he totally like emasculates this guy with a bullet because like you saw what that gun like they were wise to book in that with the scene of him shooting the target and it ripping the target in half. Like <laughs> they, these are not small bullets and they're not shot slow. This this thing is yeah. like this ridiculous gun. So even getting shot once with it is like serious business. Yeah, if you're I, shot right, right in the nards. Like I, I don't think they're gonna survive, man. I, I don't either. I do not either. Um, I think that. Uh, um, I also think that with with this scene and with like you were saying with the with the hateful eight scene, um, your thought is what's the extent of the damage? Like, like yeah, you know, I mean, and less less so head. in this scene because you don't really care about the guy that gets shot. In the hateful eight, you kind of care about the Samuel L. Jackson character. 
but uh but i still think you are curious like you know uh you know but again at, at the very least how he's much got damage testicles. the ball damage. sack took specifically yeah. but but also after that when the woman goes up to robocop it kind of highlights the lack of humanity that he has at that point yeah, it's, where that's a really you know line. where he's like you have suffered a trauma and i am going to you know send you or alert the nearest rape crisis center. it's just this it's like you know you have suffered an emotional shock yeah. yeah, like he doesn't try to comfort her at all. Doesn't even occur to him. He's like, it, "This is the proper procedure. Yeah. Going to shoot the next penis." Intellectually, he gets it and he understands what needs to be done, but he doesn't connect to the situation at all. It's just a very the, the emotional distance is very apparent in that I, scene. I like um, his struggle to reclaim the important parts of his humanity and fuse it into a new identity. I think that's really yeah. cool. Because I love the scene where he's walking through his, his house that his wife sold after he quote unquote died. Yeah. And he's like flashing back to all of his human memories and like, again, having like this moment of like real genuine crisis. And there's a lot of cool stuff like that in this movie. It's it's but what I love about it is they don't fully resolve it. Like he doesn't really get yeah. to be human anymore, but he gets to have something of his humanity back. And that seems to be sufficient for him now. Like he doesn't get to be a person, but his, his robot mask well, comes off and you get to see you get I to see his person face for the in last a movie time. in a movie like this that has to be this efficient it's a little bit like a um like a uh like a wuxia movie where the costume has to do a lot of the work and yeah. so taking off the mask is how they resolve it i think is so and and a little bit of the exchange between him and lewis and you know you do see it you see change in the character but they don't have time to do like a 20 minute deep dive at the you know his um reclaiming of his humanity it's, well, it, it's very uh, it's very efficiently done. I like the first part of the movie. His humanity fails him and he dies, right? He gets shot up by a bunch of criminals. But in the second half of the movie, his robotic elements fail him. His programming betrays him, and then he gets yeah. shot up by a bunch of cops. Yeah, yeah. And he emerges from both of them. Like, he comes back and away from both of them by using the two halves in the last little yeah. bit of the movie. No, that's it's, a good it's, point. It's kind of like It's both. brilliant. It's ingenious yeah. writing. Yeah, because ah, I was because so I was kind of curious. I was like, wait a second, like I understand, like I understand why he gets crucified once and comes back because that's sort of the story. But why does it happen twice? Do you know what I mean? Like, and so that 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 does explain it. Um, that's a that's an interesting point. You can't you can't uh, relate either of them. The, the movie's about uh, finding a, a balance of the elements of himself. Also, just an interesting thematic connection. Basil Polidorus does the music to this. Who's mm. he's, he's he's my favorite uh, the Robocop my favorite film something. composer. Um, and he did the music to Conan, and the music is very reminiscent of the Conan music. You know, a lot of Basil Polidor's soundtracks kind of reminiscent, but but this is very what reminiscent to Conan. Those are some of my favorite soundtracks. But Conan's also a movie where he gets crucified, dies, and comes back from the dead. So I I, I wonder if that fed into the decision to hire Basil Polidorus. I don't know. I just was curious if that was. I think uh, if I'd heard the Conan soundtrack and like that was an option, I would never choose anyone else. No, Maybe, that's. Um, I I I feel the same. Like that's an amazing. Like uh, again, if anybody has not heard the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack, that's probably one of the best movie sound. It's like up there with Ennio Morricone music. Um, yeah, so and I, I rarely would compare someone to Ennio Morricone, but yeah. You know what Eno Morricone soundtrack does not get enough attention is the Hamlet soundtrack that he did. I don't know if um Ooh, anybody it's later, it's later material. It's like nineteen ninety, the nineteen ninety Hamlet. Um, 
is actually really good. Uh, he did the soundtrack to that. And he did the soundtrack to Wolf also. Um, oh, he yeah, did, he did yeah. Wolf. I forgot about yeah. Wolf. Yeah, he's done. A, I mean, there's a lot of movies that like people don't associate his name with as much. Um, they're just, you know, not as well known. But but the Hamlet one actually has a lot of really good music. And there was one song in there when I first le- started learning to play guitar. It was I actually is I think it's called Dance to the Queen or something like that. That was one of the first songs I learned on guitar because I thought the, the melody was so nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think I do think it's interesting that, you know, it, you know, his other big movie is conan and that has a very similar it uses a very similar jesus metaphor um and i and i and i think also the music of conan invokes that story do you know what i mean he uses a lot of music that kind of invokes the jesus story and so it's also happening here as well um so you know even musically the kind of is connected to it um but but yeah so i know uh the other thing I, I did write down, I wrote down that he died at 615. And I was just curious if there was any significance to that number that people could, you know, uh, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. I, uh, that's the time of death when, when Murphy dies is 615. Um, but, you know, might, might be meaningless. I just thought that it was interesting. I, I, I had seen it enough times that I could start paying attention to background information. And so that was one of the things that I wrote down. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, that's a weird one. I don't know if that's significant or not. I mean, it's pretty specific. Yeah, it's specific, and it, maybe it's something that's so obvious we're just not noticing it. It might be like the position of the hands or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it is interesting. Hmm. Um, but again, it could be meaningless. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know. We, Anything else we want to add? We're kind of sort of we're talking about the time of death of Murphy. We're probably at the very end. I I just want to say his little hand spike thing is the coolest thing ever. And I'm glad that he gets to punch Clarence Potter's face off with it. That that was super cool. I also like that it it had a function that he used it to interface with the computer system, it seemed like. But then he was able to also use it as a weapon was very satisfying. I that's my favorite Chekhov's gun Mm -hmm. that ever got fired, you know, because like the guy's like, you can't come in here, blah, blah. And he takes his hand and he flips it open and there's a giant fucking yeah. spike in there. Yeah. And instead of stabbing him with it, he just puts it in the database yeah. calmly. And it's a middle you know, finger, too. It's also a middle finger. Which yeah. Is again, th- this movie works on so many levels. And like my first thought, everyone's first thought is he's going to get stabbed with this fucking yeah. thing. You know, like it's just, this is a violence robot. It's going to use violence to solve his problems. <laughs> no, no, it just uses procedure. Um, but you want him to stab it's so stat. It's yeah. like a punch dagger, right? You're just yeah. like, ah, oh, but I want to see the stab. You, you want to see that used. You don't. You you want to see it get used in that way because it's obvious. And they obvious knew to why. tease you with it until they they used it to kill your favorite bad guy, which which was a really good death scene because they he's he's got RoboCop at that point. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's tearing him open with a crowbar or something or a makeshift crowbar, and then he just stabs him right in the jugular, and it's it really works. Um, it's a, That scene is perfect. Um, that That is maybe the most singularly satisfying scene ever put to film. <laughs> it's incredible. If you've got to kill Clarence Bodiger, you have to make it the most satisfying thing ever, because otherwise it's kind of a tragedy to lose a character that good. The other thing I kind of want to talk about with that scene is I always like the, the math 
at the end of a movie when they have to take out like the minions of a boss or something. And it's like, you're kind of keeping track of how many are left and how effective, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, is there still anybody that could do anything? And it's like, they still keep that one to go in there and drop the crane of yep. goods on them. It's, it's, it's very, that last scene makes very good use of minion math. I think. Oh, because, oh yeah. Claire, Clarence yeah. Boddicker knew how to use the whole Buffalo when it came to yeah. minions. And and also the scene with the the toxic waste, which we didn't even get. Oh into. yeah, that, the guy gets dunked in toxic yeah. waste. Yeah. I think that okay. Here's the thing: the, the million words have been spilled on a million podcasts about the toxic waste dummy, right? Like the 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 mutant makeup on that guy when he gets he gets hit by the car and explodes like a can of spaghettios in a microwave. Like okay, all right, we all know how rad that is, but everybody leads with that. We're gonna end with that. That's the image I want to splatter okay. all over your memory before. You get out the of this podcast. Waste. Okay, the yeah. The toxic waste scene. The, yeah, just, and the the fact, like, why the toxic waste is even there in the first place, you know, just all these things. Um, but Not yeah, that, that scene, I also, at that time, I feel like, remember how, like, I, I, I sometimes say, like, kar- back when karate was magic, this yeah. is also when toxic waste was magic. When yes. He just threw toxic waste, like, it's toxic Avenger era filmmaking. Um, and so yeah. it's just got that, it's got that that trace of Toxic Avenger in the movie that I really like. Um, this yeah, it definitely felt like a Toxic Avenger nod. No question yeah. about that. <laughs> just, just uh, just but not. also the the way that they make use of it, where he's like that guy is suddenly like you know asking everybody to help him, and the the one guy from the crew that he goes up to is the guy with like the nice hair who yeah. definitely wouldn't want a toxic waste infected human being touching him. And the look of horror on that guy's face, it's just the scene really <clears throat> works. Um, so, all right, we'll end it there and we'll be back. I don't know if we're going to, I know we have to do crouching tiger, hidden dragon on Wusha weekend, and we have to Ooh. probably do another horror movie at some point, but we might be back next with uh, RoboCop two, which I'm yeah. now really looking forward to and really not looking forward to part three, which we'll also be back with watching, <laughs> watching all of them is like remembering having a puppy and having a dog and ha- that the, it's tragic end and some terrible yeah. accident. Yeah. Like I it really is pretty like awful. It, yeah. Part three is like having your puppy killed for sure. It's definitely that, 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 it's, that emotional note of a film. It is um, the Highlander two of Robocop movies, people. So, okay. The Highlander two is in a special category of badness that we will talk about when we talk about, we, part we might, yeah. this might be like a, until it was awful kind of series where we're just like, we're going to watch Robocop until it's awful. Now we're going to yeah. watch Highlander until it's awful. I, I don't know if I could do. You can even do that again. with Star Wars, man. You can watch Star Wars until it's awful. I'm all the way up to movie four. <laughs> well, well, you heard me, Star Wars fans. So uh, <laughs> it's very 2017. Yeah, <laughs> the Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, we'll um, we'll head out, and until next time, we'll talk to you. Later.